You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. The passage we read today involves a man by the name of Paul. And his actions towards this Corinthian church modeled to us the difference that Jesus makes. And so today I'm going to be asking the same question that when you look at the elements of the Lord's Supper, the bread and the juice, the bread, which is the reminder of God's, of Jesus's broken body for us and the juice or the wine that is supposed to remind us of his shed blood in our place for the cleansing and the forgiveness of our sins. I I want us to consider when you think about Jesus, when you look at these elements, what difference does that make in your life? When you think about Jesus, And you look and think about the things that are to remind you of his sacrificial love. What difference does that make in your life? See, for those of you that are unfamiliar with the Lord's Supper, let let me give you a, a brief, brief history. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, that is the night before he goes and is thrown before a human council of corrupt religious leaders to then have the charge upon him for him to go to him to go and be crucified on a roman cross to die for the sins of the world jesus shared a meal with his disciples and this was no ordinary meal This meal was the Passover. Jesus spoke about how he eagerly desired to share this meal with his disciples. The Passover rolled around very intentionally so that they'd be sharing that meal the night before he would be betrayed to go and die for the sins of the world. What is Passover? What is this meal? Why would Jesus want to have this meal with his disciples? Passover represented the great liberation of God's people out of the land of Egypt, They were under affliction, slavery, certain death. And God saved them. How? Many of you will be aware of the many plagues that went through Egypt to try and nudge Pharaoh. As Moses said to him, let my people go. God says, let my people go, but he didn't budge until finally the one last miraculous act of God's mercy, God said to his people, go, take a lamb, bring it into your homes. And then you're going to take this lamb and the knife. The blood will be spilt. The lamb will die. You will collect the blood and you will paint your doorposts with the blood of the lamb. You will cook this lamb. You will eat this lamb. And because that lamb has died, it's representing dying in your place so that when God goes through the land of Egypt, he will have seen that death has already taken place in that 
in that house and you will be spared from God's judgment. This lamb meant that God would pass over the people that put their trust in this lamb to save them from God's judgment. And for thousands, for hundreds of years, God's people continued to share this meal, remembering God's miraculous liberation because that's what God did. God went through the city of Egypt and he spared those people that put their trust in the lamb. And every time that they would eat the lamb, every year they'd remember God's love to them, his mercy for them, his rescue plan for them. And then the night that Jesus is portrayed, they go and they're eating this lamb. But then Jesus does something that's never been done in this meal before. He takes, he takes it down a few notches. He simplifies it. You don't need a lamb anymore. You just need some bread. You need some wine. And he points them to how he is the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That if you put your trust in Jesus, he will die in your place as the lamb died in the place of the people of Israel back in the time of Egypt, that his blood will be shed and it will be painted over our lives so that when we all stand before God on that final judgment day of your death, his judgment will pass over you because death has already taken a place. The death of Jesus Christ, his one and only son, so whoever who would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And the Lord's Supper one thing it's supposed to do is supposed to cast our mind back to the broken body and shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ who saves us from our sin and the wrath of God. What do you think when you think of the sacrifice of Jesus, his sacrificial love? What do you think when you see the red juice and the bread? What difference does it make in your life? We read today in this letter from Paul to this Corinthian church that this sacrifice of Jesus, Jesus' sacrificial love for the benefit of many is being played out in his life towards this Corinthian church. Paul's entire mindset in how he deals with all the people around him and how he seeks to approach these Corinthians has, you can, as you read through, you get to see Paul as he, as he literally explains himself. Coming through is his attitude and character, which has been infused by an understanding of Christ's sacrificial love for him. And Jesus' sacrificial love for him will then inform his sacrificial love for others. How does that look? 2 Corinthians, we've just read, it actually, we, we, we've just read a short part. We're covering the second half of chapter one and the first half of chapter two. What is Paul doing in this section? Well, what's happened at this point is that Paul has, up to this point, Paul has planted this church in Corinth. Many people are there because of his faithful obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Many people are in that church because Paul has told them about Jesus and they're there and 
They're being the church. Now, Paul has sent, Paul has been there for a few years. He's gone away. Now, while he's been away, there's been some reports. There's been a bit of dibber-dobbing going on. What's going on in this Corinthian church? Look, it's not, it's not a, uh, what you might call a vibrant, you know, look, if they did the, uh, the church health survey, their score wouldn't be so good. <laughs> there's a bit of argy-bargy. There's a few things going on in this church, which are, are really not okay. Um, you know, there's, there's a bit of, uh, uh, oh, sorry, kids are in service. We can't go into it. It's not good. So Paul writes to them, correcting some of their theology, correcting some of their actions. That's 1 Corinthians. You've got that in your Bible if you turn the other side in your Bible. And then what happens is Paul, he goes and he pays a visit to the Corinthians after this time on his way to Macedonia. You can sort of read between the lines and what he's writing out through here. He pays them a visit. Now, how did that visit go? (laughs) Didn't go well. Did not go well at all. Did not go well at all. There's been there's a lot of arrogance in this church. There's a lot of like, well, you're not like the other guys, Paul. There even seems to be, from what we can read and what commentators say, there even seems to be one particular gentleman that has been such a jerk towards Paul that Paul's just like, oh, I need to write another letter. In 2 Corinthians, it actually gets called the severe letter. Before Paul had left uh, the Corinthians on that second visit, he said, I'll come back. I'm away back from Macedonia. I'll I'll visit you guys and then I'm going to come back on my way through. But he doesn't. He doesn't. And so we sort of see his explanation here in 2 Corinthians. He doesn't come back to the church. Instead, he writes a severe letter. And then they write him a letter back, which we can kind of read through, the, through what he's replying to here. It's, I picture it would have been something like this. Oh, Paul, why didn't you come back the second time? You said you were going to come. You didn't come. Why didn't you come, Paul? You said you were going to come. You just wrote us a really mean letter instead. Why did you send us a mean email? You're supposed to like pay us a visit, Paul. So Paul writes 2 Corinthians, which is the third we can tell is more than likely the third letter. Some commentators say it's the fourth letter. Either way, there's an email chain going on here, which just is not fun or cool. Paul writes, I made up my mind not to make another painful visit for you. Verse two, for if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did. So that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. I felt so sure, felt sure of you all that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know of the abundant love that I have for you. Paul doesn't pay them the next visit back. Paul instead changes his plans. Why? For the benefit of that church. Because of his love for them. Paul's actions reflect someone that has taken on board the reality of Jesus' sacrificial love towards him. And so he changes his priority and he lays down his preferences for the benefits of others. That's what Jesus does for us. And we see this being worked out in Paul to the Corinthian church. 
Now, this is beautiful. We see Paul just working out his own theology as a follower of Jesus. Things that he goes on to write to the Philippian church, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to his own interests, but the interests of others. That's what he's doing for the Corinthian church here, looking out for their interests, caring for them, sacrificing his preferences for them. Or it's as John writes, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. By this we know love. This is what the true mark of love is, when Jesus laid down his life for us. And we, implication, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Or as Paul writes to the Roman church, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honour. Imagine that. Imagine if we had an honour showing competition in our church. Oh, man, that guy just like, just so honouring. Just like, man, he's just like, he's the most honouring dude ever. You know who I want to honour right now? The sound guy. How good's, the sound, how good's our sound guy? How good we got sound right now? Let's honour him. These little unseen jobs. What about the podcast guy? Let's honour the podcast guy. Where's he? He's up there. The man mountain with the awesome beard. <laughs> Outdo one another in showing honour. Paul is reflecting a life that is lived out of actually seeing what these things mean and represent. Paul's not only living his life out in reflection to that, but he's also just being obedient to Jesus. Jesus, who when he walked this earth, said to his disciples, which is recorded for us today, Jesus writes, but whoever would be great among you, whoever would be great among you must be what? Must be really rich, must be really powerful, must be really coercive. No, must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave. Of all. For even the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, even the Son of Man came not to be served. He came not to be served. What? Says Jesus, Son of God, steps off his heavenly throne to the world he created. Came, why? Not to be served, but to serve. But to serve, whoa, that's incredible. He came to serve. What did he do? Give his life as a ransom for many. Do you hear that? That's should remind you. Jesus gave his life for a ransom for many. Or Jesus teaches, he says, he commands a new commandment. I give to you. What is it? new commandment, that you love one another. You love one another, that you love one another, that you love one another, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. Not so you can get stuff, 
sacrificial, selfless, other-giving love, cruciform love, blood poured out, body broken. And what's he going to say? By this, people will know that you are my disciples. There's a lot that we could be known for as this church, couldn't it? Oh, yeah, you're that church that has dogs. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. That's cool. Oh, you're that church that did that carols thing with the other churches. Oh, yeah, that was cool. You're that church that meets outdoors. What do you do when it rains? Sorry, not mimicking anyone. Or am I? Sorry. (laughs) If there's anything that we should be known for, it's what? That you love one another as Christ has loved you. By this, people will know that we are Christ's disciples. Who cares about our big stupid yellow sign? It's helpful. It's great. We can fly a banner, but if we're not loving one another, we're useless. Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. And we have the greatest example of love this world has ever seen. Jesus Christ laying down his life for the ransom of many. But Paul is not just playing out uh, his logic from what he's seen in Jesus and his obedience to Jesus. There's more obedience here. Love one another. Love one another. Jesus also says, love your enemies. Do you hear that? Love your enemies. Love your enemies. And do good. Lend, expecting nothing in return, Jesus says. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Love your enemies and do good. Lend, expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. When we were at our worst, God gave us his best. When we were far off, running away from God, he pursues us. Our posture towards God was this. And he sent his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Love your enemies and do good and land expecting nothing in return. Jesus teaches in these verses that sacrificial love should extend even to one's enemies. Jesus emphasizes that acting in this way with this kind of love is ultimately a reflection of the character of God. As the Apostle John writes, little children, let us love not in word, let us love not in word and talk, but in deed and truth. Paul's actions towards the Corinthian church reflected this cruciform love, laying down his preferences, laying down his priorities, laying down what should have come to him as the one who had the right to call them out and to rebuke them. He laid that down and changed his plans for them. 
This is so countercultural. So countercultural. We see plans get changed all the time these days, don't they? Millennials, man, they're blaming millennials. Changing their plans, they get a better offer. I'm a millennial, so I can say this, can't I? You know, wait till I get the better offer. (laughs) Change my plans so that I can find this other thing for a little bit more self-fulfillment. Might have a better option down the track. Bit of self-love. I'll I'll change my plans because this way is easier. What's all that? That's me, 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 me. That's why people change their plans so often today. So just shoot the text off. Yeah, sorry, guys, something else came up. Can't come in today. Paul changes his plans for their benefit. Could you imagine if Jesus changed his plans for his benefit? (laughs) Could you imagine if Jesus was self-interested? None of us would be here today. And Paul, he changes his plans for the benefit of this Corinthian church and he tries to explain to them why. Now, look, maybe uh, you read through this, read through 2 Corinthians and you go, oh, look, I don't know. Paul, Paul's been a little bit self-protective here, I reckon. You know, he didn't want to have to have the face, you know, that tough face-to-face conversation. He's just like avoiding it, just avoiding the Corinthian church. You know, one guy looks like he may have slapped him on the face. He want to get slapped again. Uh, I don't think that's what's going on. Like, do you know who Paul is? Do you know a little bit about Paul's history? (laughs) Pharisee of Pharisees. Like Paul, firstly, he's an intellectual giant. Like Like he has had a huge impact just on modern day literature just by being the absolute boss in the writings that he has. He's an intellectual giant. I don't think he's worried about a tough conversation with these Corinthian church, with these Corinthians. I don't think anyone's going to be like, well, Paul, well, what about this? And Paul will be like, well, uh, <laughs> I'm going to give you a 50-point sermon as to why you're wrong. And what about uh, the physical oppression that Paul might have been scared of? No, nah. this is a guy that has been lashed and beaten and thrown into jail multiple times because of his faith in Jesus. I don't think he's scared of this Corinthian church. Like this is a guy who's so, he, his, his resume in like how hard he is, is like he's literally, before he was a Christian, he could stand side by side with people as Christians got murdered and killed. He's like, yeah. Paul's a hard man. And if anyone had the authority, if anyone had the ability, if anyone was, had the right to unleash on this Corinthian church, he planted it. He was there. He established it. He's been investing into it. And then they go and slap him over the face and give some stupid reasons for it. It was him. He could have gone in and absolutely torn them apart. But does he? No, he changes his plans. He sets aside his preferences for their benefit. He sacrifices his rights for their relief and he chooses the selfless way. Why? Because he understands the selfless sacrificial love of Jesus and it impacts all that he does as a person.
What do you think when you think of the sacrificial love of Jesus? How do these things impact the way that you live your life? Does it impact your attitudes? Start small. Does it impact your attitude towards church and your gospel community? Your heart to pray for other people? As you think about the things that will help you follow Jesus well, are there thoughts of self-interest or selflessness that guide your decision and where you're going to be spending your time and energy? What about in your relationships, your friends, your family, your children, your spouse? Does being someone that claims the name of Christian change the way that you relate to them? Is it one of selflessness, sacrificial love, giving up your own preferences for their benefit? What about in your attitudes to work when you're wronged by your boss? When you're backhanded by a fellow employee? When you have to, customer's always right. How quickly does the reality of the sacrificial love come to bear on your thinking towards those people? I know you're thinking, that's hard. That's hard. (laughs) It's hard to show sacrificial love to those around you. It's hard. It's hard to give up your preferences and your priorities when for those people around you that are nang, 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 nang. It's hard. So uncomfortable. It wouldn't be fair. It wouldn't be fair. Where's Paul getting his resources from to be able to do the same towards the Corinthian church? Maybe we start there. As we ourselves look to be people who model Christ, in our actions. Where does Paul go? Or how did Paul start this letter to the Corinthians? Remember last week we talked about Paul and his genius. The prologues of his letters often contain so much of the content that's going to follow. It infuses all the way through the logic that he's going to keep presenting to these people. How does he start? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the giver of all comfort. That's how he starts. What's Paul drawing on in the discomfort of how, of how hard it is to be able to give up his priorities for this Corinthian church? Where's he drawing that on? He draws it from God, the father of mercies. I can show mercy because actually my dad is like the dad of mercy. Like he, he, like, he like gave birth to mercy. Like he contributed to the creation of mercy. He is mercy. I, I'm gonna, God is, the, who is God? The Lord, the Lord, 
a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So when I need to be able to show mercy, I'm not going to like try and find it deep down within my little precious little soul. Oh, wait, there's more blackness and more darkness and more unwillingness. I'm going to look to the new heart that I have in Jesus Christ. That's where I find mercy to show to these people. That's where I find love. And then when it's hard and when it's uncomfortable, where am I going to go? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of mercies and giver of all comfort, 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 comfort comes from God. And how do we find the access to that comfort that comes from God? How do, we, how, do we, how do we get there? How do we draw near to that? The shed blood and the broken body of our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's where Paul's getting it from. So when we, as a church who wants to be defined by sacrificial love. We don't go deep within ourselves to find these things. Where do we run to? We run to God, the one who has comforted us in our affliction so that we may comfort others. The one who has laid down his preferences and priorities for us so that we have a model and then a resource to be able to do the same to lay down our preferences and priorities for others. This is quite simply just a gospel way of thinking. Because how do we start? Here's, here's the logic. This is what I love about God. I'll just One of the things I love about God, and just what I just love about theology, right? It's just, it's so beautifully logical and consistent. It's just so pleasing. It's just this beautiful array of a pattern of his wonderful design. Now, if you're a Christian here today, you have not done anything to earn that. Your journey and your life with Christ to be in the presence and the beauty of God was nothing you did, was it? You're wrong if you think you did something. Apart from admit you can't do anything and then ask for Jesus to do it all on your behalf. That's, that's, that's the Christian life, unlike every single other religion, which is do more, do more, do more, and maybe, you know. It's Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. And can it be that I should gain an interest in my Saviour's blood? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Who would save a wretch like me? That's the start of the Christian life. Throwing ourselves upon the mercy of God to save us, we've done nothing. Jonathan Edwards said, the only thing we can contribute to our salvation is the sin that God needs to take away. So if that's the logic, if that's how we start, by just saying, oh, I suck, help. It's my testimony. There you go, a few words. I suck, help. I'm hopeless, help. Save me, help. So here's the logic. 
We want to be a people who follow after the footsteps of Jesus. We want to be a people who walk with Jesus. We want to be a people who show sacrificial love and give up our preferences towards others so that they may see Jesus at work as we seek to live our lives after him. What, so is, the logic here is if we started with, I suck, help, and we get to these places where it's just like, well, got to live for Jesus here. What do we do next? Well, okay, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll take it from here, God. It's all good, God. I'll take it from here. Yeah, yeah, I'll take it from here. Is that logical? Thank you. <laughs> no, it's not. You know what it looks like? I need to love this person right now. I've got some giving up to do right now. I have an opportunity to show them the love of Christ right now. Logic to me says, I suck. Help. We run back to God. And we remember his all-surpassing, all-surpassing worth, his never-ending love, that he is so for us. And he knows that as we love others in his name, he's going to be like, oh, well, hold on. Was that prayer? Were you just praying to me, asking for help so that that person would be loved and then you will give me the credit because you could love that person. I'll get glory for that and that person will be helped. Is that, what, is that the prayer that you've just asked? Like, yeah, God, that's, that's, that's what I'm asking. <laughs> have some comfort. Have some mercy. Have all the resources you need and even more still, feel me at work in you. Be a channel of my grace to this world. Whoa. Whoa. I don't know if, I don't don't know how many people understand that. Calling down the power of God to love this people in the same, the love people in the same way that he has loved us. And he says yes to that prayer. And we stand back, like have this, this experience of just like, hold on a minute. I was able to love them. And the only way I could love them was that God was pleased to work through me, despite who I am, to love them. You're just telling me that I just got to hold hands with the, the living God? And he empowered me to do that? It's insane. It's insane. We get all the joy. He gets all the glory. And where did it start? How do we know that he was willing to give us this life to live? Where do we find our help to live this life? Sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. We see sacrificial love played out by Paul to this Corinthian church. He was a man that got it. Knew how to shape his preference, knew how to shape his plans so that he would be able to love and give to the people around him because he was someone that had responded to the love 
and so that God had given him. And so today, simply, I just say, let us not forget the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ and that actually that has a bearing on the way we live all of our lives towards one another and the rest of this world. And if we do, there's only a greater joy and realisation of God's presence. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.